had a birthday a couple weeks ago, and from that birthday, granted, it's probably been happening. I know it's been happening for years, but I'm, I'm coming to grips with it a little bit more, and I'm willing to admit it a little bit more now that I'm no longer cool. I used to do student ministry. I did student ministry for about 10 years before moving here. And I remember thinking and even saying, I am never going to be one of those old guys that loses touch with the younger generation. And I, I will admit, I am there. I have absolutely lost touch with the younger generation. Uh, my kids have helped me with that. They've helped me see that. Uh, especially recently, my kids came home and we were playing football in the backyard. And one of my kids made a great catch and he looked over at me and he says, dad, you just got mossed. And I said, what did you just say to me? He said, you got mossed. And I'm like, I don't think that's a word. You're not using that appropriately. That's not a thing. He's like, no, it is. Like you say, you got mossed. I'm like, use it in another sentence, which he did. I'm like, that's still not the right word. So we've been arguing. I kid you, you can ask Connor this. We've been arguing over this for months. And then last week on social media, I saw ESPN post something about a great play and they got mossed. And I said, Connor, I owe you an apology. Your dad's officially no longer cool. But like I said, that's not a new thing. That's been happening for quite a while. And uh, I notice it a lot more in text messaging, right? Where I'll get a text message from friends. We have like a bunch of group chats and something will be said. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're referring to. I have no idea what they're talking about. We're like absolutely not on the same page. So I figured I'd have a little fun with this. Let's see if you are as old as I am and out of touch with the younger generation as much as I probably am. So these are things you will see mostly in text messages. When you see it up here, I want you to tell me what it actually means and stands for. Okay, so here's your first one, easy one. Just kidding. kidding. I didn't know that one, just so we're all clear. I'm not that bad. All right, so next one. These are easy ones. Never mind. Good. Next one. Good. Still pretty confident. Here's this one. Next one. Still got everybody. All right, this is a gimme. Surely everybody knows this one. Next one. Laugh out loud. Those are easy, right? Those are the ones that I know about. Those are the ones that I even use. These next one, again, full confession. The next five of these, I did not know what they meant, and I had to either Google it, which is a hit to the ego. What does this mean? And it's like, says every old person using a text message phone. Anyway, so there's that. Or I had to ask a friend, like, I have no idea what that means. So let's see how you do on these. These are a lot harder, at least for me they were. Here's the next one. Seriously? <laughs> All right, hang on. Hang on. Would you, there has to be a few of you that are like me, like, I had no idea what that was. Would you be willing to, thank you so much. That means the world. You know what? You are dismissed. All of you that raise your hand, you are dismissed. You can go have an early lunch. I'm not the only one. I had no idea what that meant. I was like, shake my, when do you use that? Anyway, thank you for that one. Thank you for that. All right, here's another one, hard one. Had no idea when this one was. I feel like this section over here has just got it. Y'all over here, I don't know if you sit by age or what, but I, that's why I sit right over here. I'm with y'all on that one. I'm rolling on the floor laughing, did not know that one. This one's super, super tricky. I need to double check, make sure I actually get this one right. All right, here's the next one. Ah, that one was harder, wasn't it? That one was like, there's a few of you that still felt very confident. Everybody was like, mm, I'm not gonna say anything out loud. I might be wrong. In case you missed it. Like, let's be honest on that one. It's like by the time you type out 
the, what is it, I-C-Y-M-I, by the time you type it out, you almost could have just explained the whole thing at that point. I don't think that's saving you any time. For me, okay, this last one, hang on, don't put it up there. This, this last one, I found out about this because somebody actually texted this to me, and I was like, I don't quite know what you mean. Then I looked it up, and I was like, oh. All right, so here's the next one. Too long, didn't read. <laughs> Too long, didn't read. I'm like, oh, that's why you're not responding back to my text messages. Got it. I feel like there was a nicer way for you to tell me, but, but I'll take it. And the fact, that, the fact that they had to explain it was just great. Brian, your text messages are too long. I'll email you from now on. <laughs> All right, last one. This last one, uh, still just, I mean, I can't even text it. I tried to do this one a couple times. I'm like, I can't even get the letters right. So let's see if you can get this one. I think this is the hardest one of them all. Last one. Yeah, you guys are a lot smarter and a lot more cool than I ever hoped to. If you know, you know, and I never can use it right because I'm like, how many K's and Y's go in this one? <laughs> Hashtag don't know, don't care. <laughs> but I bring those up because um, it's just hard to be on the same page with people if you're using words that nobody else knows, right? Uh, when my kids use words, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I, I can't have a dialogue with you. When I'm getting text messages that tell me, oh, I didn't realize my texts were too long. Now we can actually have a conversation. If you don't know, if you're not on the same page, it makes not just communication near impossible. Ultimately, it makes unity very difficult, right? So when we're not on the same page, you've heard that phrase before, when we're not on the same page, when we're not talking the same thing, when we're not speaking the same language, when we are are on different sides, it makes unity extremely difficult. But just because unity is difficult doesn't mean we don't strive for it. In fact, throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we see not just the value and the importance of unity, but the call to have unity, to be unified. There's several ways to look at that, that, that idea of unity, obviously with us and God. We are to be unified in Christ, where he is in us. It's not just, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, not just that we like Jesus, not just even that we love Jesus. No, we are unified with Jesus. That's one way to look at unity. We tend to think of unity amongst our peer relationships. Unity with your spouse, unity in the home and family, unity with your kids, unity as a church, unity in our community, unity as a nation. Like we go on and on. And it's super difficult because we don't always see eye to eye. We don't always agree. But just so you know, agreement is not necessary for unity. You can disagree and still have unity. But we do have to make sure that we are aimed in the right direction, not just the same direction, the right direction. So our Bible teaching series we're going to start today for the next four weeks is all about that word, unity, the idea of togetherness, and recognizing that, yes, we need to have unity with our Father in heaven, but he desires us to have unity with our relationships here. I want you to see how uh, the Apostle Paul talks about unity in regards to our relationships with one another. He talks a lot about unity to a lot of the early churches. This one specifically in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. He's not just asking. He's like, I am in a terrible situation, and this is what I'm begging you to do, to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Now, that is a whole lot more meaningful than just 
This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what the Christian thing is to do. No, he says, you have been called by God. So live a life that lines up with that calling. Live a life that's worthy of your calling. And then he begins to describe what that life looks like. Verse two, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves, and there's the word for the month. Say it with me. Keep yourselves united, but not just over things you have in common. No, we are to be united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. So my, my heart for, for you in these next four weeks is not just, I'm supposed to get along with people. Please don't, please don't hear that. It's to make sure that we are aimed in the right direction and we can grow in unity together. And I believe that can, again, happen with your marriage. I, can believe, I believe that happens in your family. I believe that most certainly can happen in your workplace even when you disagree and even when people believe different things, I believe because of you and like what Paul says here, when we live a life worthy of our calling, where unity is a priority, I believe you start to see some amazing things happen where God doesn't just move in, but God begins to work within those relationships. Of course, we're a church, so we most definitely want to look at unity within the church. What does it look like for us moving forward to not just gather together, but to be unified together. That's my heart. Let me pray and we'll dive in this morning. God, thank you so much for what you do and how you move, for how you speak. God, that'd be my prayer that as we open your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, challenge us, convict us, begin to develop us to become who you desire us to be as individuals, but also as a group of believers, as a group of people, as your church. God, would you give us the spirit of unity May you press upon our hearts and minds the importance of unity. And may we be willing to do what it takes. Would we be willing to pay the price and pay the cost for unity, just like you did. Jesus, you put yourself on the cross so that we could be united with you. May we follow in your footsteps. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. So if you've got a Bible, be in Genesis 11. Um, this is definitely one of those times where a paper Bible is going to be helpful. We're going to flip around a little bit. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one out in the lobby. That is our gift to you. Write your name in it. Use it. Please bring it with you. Write in it uh, and make that your opportunity to hear from God. Genesis chapter 11, we get a, a, an interesting story here. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you've probably heard this story. If not, we'll read through it. Uh, but pay attention to the idea of unity. And what we're going to see here, I'll give you a heads up, what we're going to read through is not a, yes, do like they did. It's more like, don't do anything the way that they did. But we see how unity has two sides. You'll see more as we go through. So here's the story, the Tower of Babel, verse 1 out of Genesis chapter 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. Now, just real quick, let me just point out a theme. Anytime I see a theme in scripture that goes beyond like one instance or one story, it's super helpful to recognize that. This is one of those. You see the theme of the importance of words in the Old and the New Testament, and we see that constantly, right? We know this, that words spoken, those words can bring life or they can bring devastation and death. 
Those words that we speak and type and text and email, those words can build up. Those words can also tear down. And as we're going to see here, and you know this, that those words can also build unity or they can cause and create division. The words we use matter. The words we speak and text and type, they matter. And it oftentimes <laughs> leads to one of the two, unity or division, as we're going to see here. Verse 3, here's what happened. They began saying to each other, let's make, bricks and, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches up into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Now, just in that section there, we see the unity of these people. They're speaking the same language. They're on the same page. They have a common goal and a common purpose. They want to build this great city where at the middle there's this massive tower. They've got a reason behind it. Like this at first glance looks, wow, what an incredible picture of unity. They have all the ingredients of unity, but as we see, as we dig a little bit deeper, they're unified, but in the wrong things. They have unity, but it's directed in the wrong direction. Pay attention to this. It says, they will come, let's come and build a great city, but notice who it's for. Do you remember for who? For ourselves, right? It's not just for ourselves. We want to have this big tower that reaches into the sky, and we're told that they desired fame. That's even what they said. This will make us famous. So we want to build this great city all for us. We want to have this huge tower so that everybody around knows our name. We want to make our name great. We want to make our name greater than anything or anyone else. So yes, they had unity, but their unity was based around pride. It was based all on themselves. That is the very definition of pride, that we want to become greater. We want to be more known. We are doing this for ourselves. So even though they were unified, they were unified around the wrong thing. In this case, they were all united around the idea of themselves, selfishness and pride. I'm sure you know, know something along these lines. You've heard this probably before. It's pretty popular. It came out of Proverbs chapter 16, the wisdom literature of our scriptures. We're told this in verse 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. In other words, you can be united around pride, but it's not going to last long. Again, another theme throughout scripture where God elevates or exalts is the word there, the humble, but he will bring brokenness and tear down the prideful. Somebody that exalts themselves will find a fall. Somebody who comes on their hands and knees before Christ is then elevated and exalted. So we see that begin, those seeds beginning here. They're all about themselves. We want to be known. We want to be famous. We don't care about anything or anyone else. We are doing this for ourselves. So they were wrongly united around pride. That's the first one. The second thing, and you might miss it here if you don't see what happened before, is they were united around disobedience. It was all about themselves, but they were also all on the same page when it came to disobedience. So to understand where that's coming from, if you were to flip over to chapter 9, 
what we're reading in chapter 11, that happened after Noah and the ark and the flood, happened before Abram, then he became Abraham and God's covenant with the Israelites. But what happens in uh, chapter 11 is disobedience from chapter 9. So if you go to chapter 9, flip over with me, verse 1, this is after Noah and the ark, after the flood, after the waters recede, and then God not just blesses Noah and his family, he gives them a command. Look at this command. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, here's the command, be fruitful and multiply, and then look at this, fill the earth. Because of the destruction and the disobedience of humanity, God wiped out humanity and used Noah and his family to restart, basically. Right? There's a whole lot more commentary there, but that's the gist of it. But he looked at Noah and his family and said, but it's time for you to to grow as a family, to grow as humanity, to grow as a people, but you can't stay here. You also need to go. So that's what chapter nine is, is telling Noah and his family. From God, I need you to grow and I need you to go. Go fill the earth. But then when you flip over to what we were reading in chapter 11, do you, do you see the disobedience part now? Where they wanted to build this great city because it was all about them. They wanted to become famous, but also look at the last part and keep us from being scattered all over the world. See, God's plan for the, the, the early uh, people of humanity here was to grow and go. And these people said, no, we want to stay put. We want to stay here. We want to make a name for ourselves here. We want to become self-sufficient here. So God, even though your plan is for us to fill the earth, even though the purpose you have for us is to go, we're saying no to your plan, no to your purpose, no to your will, no to your desires, and we're going to do what we want. That's an essence of what's happening here. And they were all united around that idea. They all said, we want to be famous. We want to make this about us. And we want to do what we want to do. So they were united. They were a people united, but they were united around themselves, pride. And they were united around their disobedience. We want to do what we want to do. And they did not follow God's purpose, God's plan, God's will, or his desires. So you can be united, but you can be united around the wrong things. So now we're going to see God's response to this, what he sees. Verse 5, but the Lord came down and looked at the city and he said... The people are united. He admits it. He sees it. It's obvious. They are united, and they are all speaking the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Those are the two observations God God makes. He makes the observation they are united, and nothing is going to stop them. So verse 7, what is he going to do? So come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other, like Brian and texting. Verse 8. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world. Notice his purpose still prevailed. And they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Let's go back to those observations we can make about what God saw. God said they are united. They most certainly are together. They are working together. They are on the same page. They have a common goal. They have a common interest. They have a common language. They are moving in the same direction, but it's the wrong direction. They are united, but around the wrong things. Again, their pride and their disobedience. That was the first observation we see God make. The second one is kind of interesting, where God calls out the power of unity. He says, not only are they united, but I know the power of unity. God recognizes that when a group of people are unified, much happens. There is great power in unity. That is good, 
and that it can also be bad, right? When you're united around the, the right things, the good things, great movement can take place. Great accomplishments can happen. But when you're united around the wrong things, terrible things can happen, right? I mean, that's so much in our history. It's because of sin that unity can be dangerous for humanity. If we are united around sinful ideas, sinful directions, when our eyes are not fixed on Christ, that can take a group of people in a very destructive direction. I mean, we don't, we don't need to go through all the specifics, but just begin to think back of your high school, your high school history class. All the destruction, all the wars, all the devastation, all the genocide, all the horrible things that have happened because a group of people were unified around the wrong things. They were unified around sinful things. And so God looks at what's happening and says, I won't allow that to happen to humanity again. I won't allow your unity around sin to wreak havoc across the world. So he begins to break that apart. Interestingly enough, he chooses to break that unity to cause division. God does it through confusion. There's a whole other side thing, but it's good to at least point out, God breaks apart their unity with one simple thing, their language, how they spoke to each other. You want your marriage to start falling apart? Start talking to each other poorly. You want your family to begin to fall apart? Start using the wrong words. You want a church to be divided? Start using words that put each other against each other. Our words matter, especially when it comes to not just communication, but to, to unity. So I said, that's a whole other side thing, but it's interesting that that's what God chose to use to break apart a destructive version of unity. Now, obviously, we're not going to follow like, yeah, let's be like the people of Tower of Babel. No, uh, unity, yes, but let's be united around the right thing. So here's the lessons we can learn. Two main things I want us to, to take away. The first one is, yes, build unity, but we have to build unity with godly purposes. Right? It is the exact opposite of what the people of the Tower of Babel did. They had a commonality. They had a common purpose, but it was not a godly purpose. Again, their purpose was all about what they wanted to do. Their purpose was about staying put when God had specifically commanded them to scatter. So instead of taking on God's purposes, they said, no, we're going to do what we want to do. So if we want to build unity the right way in a God-honoring way, again, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, here at church, in the community, wherever this applies, we're building unity, but we're doing it with godly purposes. Here's a way to kind of figure out if it's a godly purpose or not. Ask yourself this one question, why? Why? Why do you want to build this? Why do you want to do that? Why are you making this decision? And if your answer starts to feel a little selfish, that's a good red flag. For the Tower of Babel, again, we know all the whys. Why? Because we wanna stay put. Why? Because we don't wanna do what God called us to do. Why? Because this is what we feel like doing. When those become your answers to the question why, it gives good insight Maybe have some self-reflection of, is this, is this built on God or is it just built on me? Am I moving in just a common direction with everybody else or am I moving in a direction where my eyes are set on Christ? Build unity, but you must have a godly purpose, a God-honoring purpose. Point being, it's basically keeping your eyes on Jesus. When your eyes are fixed on Jesus and you begin to move and other people begin to move united together where all of our eyes are fixed on Jesus, now we begin to see the kind of unity that God desires. 
but our eyes must be fixed on him. See this a lot in marriages even, right? We all know like there's ups and downs of marriages. You have good times and bad times, dry spells, moments where like we feel like we're all on the same page and moments where it gets a little bit more rough. I want you to see how this begins to play out in, in kind of like a, a, a real-ish example. So if you guys want to come on up, give it up for Nick and Megan. They're going to help me out with this part. Isn't it great to get claps when you haven't done anything yet? It's awesome. I've been preaching for like 30 minutes. So anyway, all right, Megan, if you'll stand right here. <laughs> if you'll stand right there, good. Nick, if you'll stand like right here. How long have you guys been married? Almost 10 years. Did you say the exact same thing? Did you really? Yeah, Man, yeah. you guys are united more than you think. Good job. Don't know. It's not going to go that way for very long. Um, so in your, almost, did you say almost 10 years? Almost 10 years. Um, have you guys ever fought? Yeah. Yep, yep. How'd it go? Just kidding, you don't have to answer that one. So you're still married, that's right. So you at least put up with him because he was always wrong, of course. Uh, so you've had some rough patches. You guys have obviously like doing very well and this is all hypothetical, but let's just assume you have a very dysfunctional marriage and like, man, it's just not going well right now. Completely hypothetical. I know that wouldn't be the case at all. Um, but what tends to happen when that does happen in your marriage, not if, but when that happens, we tend to do what they're doing now. You just are at each other. It's like, well, if you would do this or if you would do that, I would do this if you would start. And like all of a sudden, all that's doing is going to start pushing you further and further away. Even if you're both saying, we want to make this work. We want to be united. We want to have unity. But dot, 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 it just ends up being missiles going across each other, right? So here's what we see. Here is how God calls us, and this is what we've read basically out of Ephesians chapter 4. Instead of staring at each other, just stare at me for a second. Like physically, like move your bodies towards me. There you go. Don't just look at me. There you go. So all right here. Instead of focusing on each other and trying to make that work, forget about each other just for a moment and take one step closer to me. One step towards me. Just one. Nice job. Now you're still not paying attention to each other. One more towards me. One more towards me. There you go. Now you can look at each other. You guys got real close real fast. Good job. <laughs> Stay right here. Don't move. It's going to be weird for you, but let me talk to them for a quick second. So did you see what happened there, though? They started pretty far out, didn't they? Right? And if they had just paid attention to each other, I think it would have just gone back and forth, back and forth. So instead, they built with a godly purpose in mind. They got focused on something different. In this case, it's going to be focused on Jesus. And when you're focused on Jesus and you begin to take next steps towards Jesus again and again and again, because it starts here. Unity does not start with the other person. Well, if they would, then I would. Unity begins with you. It starts in your own heart. So when you say, I'm going to take a step towards Jesus, I'm going to take a step in my personal faith, I'm going to take responsibility for what I can take responsibility for, and you fix your eyes on Jesus, and you both agree to that, notice what happened. They started further out, but what happened every time they took a step closer to Jesus? They got closer together. And then every time they took a step closer to Jesus, they got closer together. And the more steps they took with their eyes on Jesus, the closer they became together. Guys, you did wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having a great marriage. <clears throat> That's what God desires for us. Not to just be unified in anything. It's to be united with our eyes fixed on him. Build unity with a godly purpose. Make sure you're asking the why question. And no matter what you are divided over, if your eyes become fixed on him and you take steps towards him, you will over time build unity. Relationships, marriages, parents, kids, and of course in our church and our community. 
The next thing that we can learn from them is not just what we're, fa- what we're paying attention to, what we're focused on, but again, let's go back and look at ourselves. Build unity with a Christ-like humility. Build unity, yes, with a godly purpose, but also with a Christ-like humility. Again, this kind of mentions what we said earlier of it starts in here. It starts with me. This is the exact opposite of what we see with the people at, tower, at the Tower of Babel. They didn't just follow their own purposes. They also did everything for themselves. I want to be famous. I want to be known. I, 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 and humility is about others. A Christ-like humility, if you read in uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're told to have the same mindset and attitude that Christ Jesus had. And if you keep reading through chapter 2, it is a perfect depiction of Jesus going to the cross. Perfect example of humility. John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30, I love his language because this could be used as a definition for humility. John the Baptist wrote this when he was talking about leading other people to Jesus. He said, he must become greater and greater. In other words, Jesus, the name of Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. I love that picture. That's humility right there. That the name of Jesus must be made known, and I just need to be in the background that I want the name of Jesus to become greater and greater and I need to become less and less. That is a perfect picture of humility. But here's what doesn't work. I'm just gonna be more humble. It doesn't work that way. So here's what I do with me. This is a personal thing. This is how Brian walks through this. Uh, Maybe this is helpful for you. I go through these throughout my life pretty regularly. Let me put these up on the screen. What are those? Those are the known as the what? Fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The reason I go through these in my own personal life is because of this. These are not things that you just try really hard at. These are not things that you over time get better at. Because they are called the fruit of the Spirit, they are from God and they are grown in me. So the closer I am with God, the more I pursue God, the more my eyes are set on Him, this is what the Holy Spirit grows in me. This is what the Holy Spirit does in me. So as I become more patient, it's not because Brian's just really patient. It's because the Holy Spirit's doing a work in my heart and he is growing patience in me. Not if that makes sense. These are not things that you just work on. These are a byproduct of the Holy Spirit being alive and active and engaged in your life. But they're not just from God. You know what these are for? We've talked about this before. These are for other people. So you're not patient for you. That's not intended to be for you. So you can just say, look how patient I am. Your patience is to be enjoyed by the people around you. The joy that you have is not for you. So you can be seen as a joyful person. It is for the other people around you to enjoy. Gentleness is not for you. It is for the other people around you. Each and every one of these is from God, but for other people. And so for me, when I start looking through these, I start thinking of a relationship. So like me and Becky, my, my wife, I start looking, God, have you put these, are these growing in my, in my marriage? And when I start to get a little bit of that gut check of like, oh man, not so much. It's not a, man, I need to do better. It's a, God, I need you to do a work in me. There's something about me in my season or in my marriage where I'm not being as humble as you call me to be. So God, would you do a work in me so that I can have more unity in my marriage. That's very different than she needs to be more or I need to work harder at. God, I need you to do a work in me so that my humility will build unity. This is not a checklist to go through and see how you're doing. It is a gut check that says, God, what do you still need to do in me? Where do I have some pride? Where do I have some selfishness? Will you reveal that to me 
and show me, but God, I need you to do the work. Do the work in me, but it's for other people. That's how we grow in humility. So if you want to have unity, church, work, community, family, keep going through the list, you've got to at some point have that gut check and say, where am I not humble? Again, the people at the Tower of Babel were the opposite of that. It was all about themselves, and God tore it down. So where do you still have some pride? Where do you still have some selfishness? And where do you need God to begin to grow that humility in you, starting with the fruits of the Spirit? That's what he would desire. So we have to be careful with unity, because if it's revolving around sin, it's going to lead to a really destructive place. But unity, when it is built with godly purposes, when it is built on Christ-like humility, oh, now God is involved with that. He's absolutely involved in that. Genesis 11 is so close to being a great example of unity. So close. A lot of positives there. But they didn't include God as part of their unity. So what I want you to see, I don't want to end with a bad example. Let me show you a great example of unity. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And just in your mind, what we read about the Tower of Babel, just compare and contrast that to what I'm about to read here. You're going to hear a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. I love this last part. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Who's the one doing the work? God is. This isn't and all the apostles and all the believers, man, they worked really hard and they put on these events. And No, they were doing things out of humility. They were doing things according to the purpose and will and plan of God. But it was God who was involved so much that he was doing the work. That's the kind of unity he desires for us. Not the Tower of Babel where we just work really hard and we're going to make bricks and we're going to make this happen. No, you see the early church was not just unified together. They were not just unified together around the right things. They were unified together around the right things and God was united with them. It wasn't, this is what we're doing, God. It was, God, what are you doing? We want to be part of that with you. And the early church, the, the early believers were so united with one another and with God that that's the picture we see. And man, that's my heart for you. Not just in a church context. Notice like, not, this is not just a picture of like a Sunday morning service. You realize that, right? Like this is a picture of people's everyday lives. They were together with one another and they shared with one another and they met needs of people and of course, they paid attention to what God was doing in their own life. I mean, it, it was not a, from 11 to 12 o'clock. That's not what this is a picture of. This is a lifestyle picture. And it is a beautiful picture of unity with one another and with God. And that's what I desire for you, that you have that kind of unity in your marriage. You have that kind of unity with your family. You have that kind of unity when you step into the office at work on Mondays. That you have that kind of unity when we meet together as a church family. You have that kind of unity out in our community. But it has to be built on a purpose that's godly. It has to be built with a humility like Christ. And God has to be involved. In the Tower of Babel, God was involved just as an observer 
and then he tore it down because it didn't honor him. In Acts chapter 2, God was not an observer. He was part of it. He was moving and people were following. Trace mentioned it earlier that we are, yes, we are in, in this next season of our church, right? We, we're physically building a building and renovations. If you haven't seen it, go back there and take a look. But here's my, my, my concern, is that we get so excited about walls and floors and paint that our eyes start to drift. And then all of a sudden, we're unified, but not around the right things anymore. So local church Dawson, please hear this. We are not united around a place. We are not united around anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. And what he is doing, we're gonna follow. So we ask the why question, well, why are we doing that? And why are we doing that? Because that's what he's doing. And we're gonna follow him. And we are, we're gonna celebrate when the building stuff is done. We're gonna celebrate the kids' spaces. Like those are great things, but it's not what unites us. It's not what you're, you and I are united around. We are united because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. This is a question I ask myself quite often and I'd like you to start asking this as well. How will I protect the unity of our church? Let me kind of give you what I think the right answer is. I think we might think it's, well, I need to like serve more. I need to give more. I need to pray more. We might like start to put a fill in the blank and then more attached to it. I don't, those things are fine things, but I don't think that's what will truly protect the unity of our church. Here's what I think. I think what will truly protect the unity of our church is you keep your eyes on Jesus no matter what. Do that. It's what you saw from, from Nick and Megan. Their eyes were on Jesus and they grew together. That will be the same for our church. You keep your eyes on Jesus no matter what. I'm gonna keep my eyes on Jesus no matter what and we're gonna keep taking next steps towards him and you're gonna start to see something incredible happen. But your eyes have to be on Jesus. Not on me, please, not on me. I can't even text right. Please don't put your eyes on me. We don't put our eyes on preferences. We don't put our eyes on opinions. We don't put our eyes on disagreements. We put our eyes on Christ and we commit to moving or stumbling in the right direction together. So we're gonna actually do that. And I was trying to think through, I was talking with a few people. I don't think I've ever asked something like um, this, like do this. Usually, man, I'm gonna challenge you or man, I'll really urge you to. Man, I really think you should. So like hear me on this one, hear my heart. Do this. Here's what I'm, I'm truly asking. Like, if, if I'm asking one thing, I'm asking, do this. I'm going to give you something to text. And I know based on all of our conversations with texting, it's not gone great. This one's pretty easy. I want you to do this. Text local to 77411. Here's why. Let me tell you the why. Every day, Monday through Friday, for the next month, I'm going to send out a scripture verse, a truth or a thought on that scripture, and then a prayer. And my hope for us is that we will do that together for the next month. We're gonna do it for the next month. It's a total of 20 days when you just count out the Monday through Fridays. So four weeks, five days a week, Monday through Friday, we are all gonna read the same scripture together. Wherever you are, you're gonna get a text and you're gonna recognize, I'm not just reading this in my home, I'm reading this with like all of local church Dawson. And then we are gonna have a very specific prayer. And that is not just a prayer that you pray, you're praying that prayer with this entire body of Christ with this entire church that you call your church home. And I believe that something significant happens in our hearts and in our, our community when our eyes are that fixated on Jesus and we're doing it all together. So in a step of unity with eyes on Christ, but we do this together, would you do this with me? 
For 20 days, would you commit to reading that, reading that scripture, praying that prayer, and recognizing we're doing that together? I believe that's one way as we begin to move into a new space that we will make sure that our eyes don't drift. That as a church family, we say our eyes are on Christ. Now, if texting's not your thing and you don't even, you have like a flip phone where texting's not even an option. Um, I don't want you to miss out on this just because you can't text it in or get the text message. Please come and find me. I will email them to you. We have several people in our church that are doing some of these prayer prompts, so we're super excited about it. Um, I'll write them out and hand them to you or mail them to you with a stamp if I need to. My point is I'm looking for 100% of our church family to say we're going to do this together for 20 days. Can we do that? Can you do that with me? It does not work if it's just, well, a few people. Like, No, this is an all thing that we are all going to be unified. We're all going to have our eyes fixated on Jesus by reading his word and praying together for 20 days. And I wonder what will happen in your life personally. And I wonder what will begin to happen in the life of our church. That's our heart. If you missed it, don't worry. I'll post it on social media. We'll send it out in emails. Um, but I'd love to be able to say, man, our entire church did this. Not just a few people. Our entire church kept our eyes on Christ and we prayed together as we took steps towards unity. It's not just about what we do together, obviously. Unity begins in our own heart. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We can't have unity with each other until we have unity with him. Unity with him is not something we earn or deserve. Unity with him is only because of what Jesus has done. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins away. That removed what kept us apart. Literally, our sin is what divided us from Jesus, from, from God. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross took that away so we could be united with him. So that's where you have to start. Start with your personal relationship with Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. And let's watch what he will do in our church family, in your family, in our community. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for how you work and how you move. I pray that we take this call seriously, as Paul wrote, that we would live a life worthy of the calling that you've given us because we are called by you. And it's not just the do's and don'ts of a Christian life. It's the unity with you and those around us. So God, would you keep through your Holy Spirit, would you keep that impressed on our hearts and minds that our eyes are fixated on you no matter what. And we keep taking next steps towards you. And the byproduct is unity. As we focus on you and we take steps towards you, as does everybody else, collectively we begin to grow together. God, unity is important to you, so may it be important to us. May we not just do our own thing, but may we be focused on what you care about. And may we do that together. Give us unity as we step towards you. In Jesus' name.